Thank you for pulling into the Hope Station. I am your host, Diane Bells. The Hope Station is a place to hear amazing interviews, great transformational stories, and learn about the power of faith and hope to change your life. A podcast that proves living purposefully is possible. Are you ready for your own transformational story? Do you want to turn a new chapter in your life or career? There's hope. Schedule a free consult call with me to stop feeling hopeless and gain the hope you need to have the life you deserve. Information of how to schedule that appointment is in the show notes. You can also connect with me through my website, Diane Bells, uh, D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z.com. Are you ready for another great interview? Hello and welcome to the Hope Station Podcast. I am your host, Diane Bells, and today my guest is Devin Schubert, who is a coach, speaker, and training that helps fostered and adopted families to heal the orphan heart. Devin has a very powerful story that he's willing to share, and we share a common theme of hope, so we're in the right space together. So Devin, just tell me a little bit about the story. When you sent the information to me, I was like, wow, this is a lot that you've been through, and where do you want to start with this story? Where do you want to begin your story, our conversation? Yeah, I I would say... The, the biggest thing that has that has shaped hope for my life and my family has been just an understanding of how much I really didn't understand who I was. And okay. a lot of common things that I hear with people is when they feel hopeless, they really don't have a dream. They've lost their dream. They've lost their vision. And it's, it's really made their heart sick. And that was what the case was for me, is I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to reach out for help. And that is really where my story um, completely begins, of being able to find hope in my own identity. Okay, so what was going out before? What was going on before that sort of left you in that, that place of hopelessness? Yeah, so I've planted... Uh, seven churches. I've started nine nine non-profits. I've started two businesses. And through all that, I've been through the ups and the downs of high-level leadership. I trained nationally across the Mm -hmm. U.S. and really built up a a big platform and got married, adopted uh, three children, two from foster care. And one was my now ex-wife's biological daughter. And through the ups and downs of all of the things that, that we're doing, um, I came home one night and my now ex-wife was uh, with her uh, boss and it completely oh. devastated everything that I had. And it mm. tore apart, tore me apart in all different areas. I mean, here I was traveling around. I was influencing other people, leading ministries you know, just serving other people and thought that we were doing well in our family. Um, But recognize that she was spending more time at work than she was with our family. And that that really destroyed what we had thought 
for our kids and us, we're a forever home. And, you know, when you adopt children, you're bringing them into a forever home that they never had before. And so that devastation, um, uh, I lost everything, including my job, my ministry, the nonprofits. I had to step away. I lost everything except for the outside and the inside of my house. And through that, she took, I mean, bedroom set, she took couches. I just wanted one thing that could be consistent for the kids. And that was, that was a house to be able to come to. And so okay. she took everything else. And um, it, it really broke me, broke me down to where I had nothing left to be able to give at that point. Well, here, so you were, you retained custody of the children, your, the two adopted children. So we ended up having 50, 50 um, at the, at the initial onset of our divorce. And through the next three years, one of our adopted children started to have some pretty significant mental health and trauma issues. And she physically kicked him out of the house and said that he was no longer ever welcome to be around her or her family again. And so I took him on one on one. And I have 15 years of working in the social work realm. So I was a social worker for the state of Iowa for 15 years. And um, you know, thought I had a pretty good grasp on how to be able to handle behaviors and trauma and all of that. Little did I know that even in the midst of all my knowledge and expertise in trauma and counseling and connections, that the hopelessness of the system, the hopelessness of the world, uh, nobody was there for us. And nobody understood what we were going through. Nobody knew what to do with his behaviors and to have us even around. That does sound like a whole lot. And this is where, when you're telling your history, you sound like you had it pretty much all together. Yeah. You're, you know, in ministry, you're having businesses. Like you said, you think like, okay, I've got it. Everything's working really well. Were there signs or symptoms that you didn't see before that this thing was going to lead to where it led? Or were you totally blindsided? Like now, when you look back, can you see something that said, well, we're going to be having some trouble here? I would say in the marriage, uh, there was some red flags. uh, But, you know, I thought that we were we were making it through. And, um, the communication was there. I called out a few of those, those red flags and, you know, they were, they were denied and, um, you know, it ultimately ended up the way that it ended up. And with the, with the kids, we knew that they had some trauma and mental health and and abuse history. Um, but this was re-traumatizing for them to, to have this, this, issue show up again in their life of people not feeling like of them not feeling loved and not feeling wanted by us splitting up. And so that just kind of spiraled our son downhill even more. So why did you decide that you were then going to dedicate your life to really being that advocate, uh, helping people heal from this? Why did you decide that this was your calling or your purpose for right now in your life? Yeah. And, you know, Diane, it's, it's powerful because a lot of our experiences 
bring us forth to who we are today. And I had my son one-on-one for five years. Um, I hired national um, people to help us try and find facilities. I had um, nationalized psychologists and psychiatrists and neuroscientists doing scans and things on my son to be able to help find out why he was having such impulsive behaviors, sexually Mm -hmm. acting out, um, very aggressive. Everything was so impulsive. Um, And it came to a point to where the, the doctors had said that, Devin, if you don't get help within the next three months, I don't know how you're going to survive going through this because there's there's so much that you need to do as a single parent that it's it's impossible for you to be able to handle these behaviors by yourself and so they recommended that he needed the help to be able to get the help that he needed and nobody was able to find the help for us and so for five years then after that i had him by myself we moved to be able to try and get the help that we needed and nobody was able to do anything. And it came to the point to where he would, um, he, he had gotten into a knife and he had threatened to kill me. And, uh, after that happened twice, um, he locked himself in his room and said he was going to kill me at night. And I called the police and we went to the hospital, got got him to the hospital and my body completely shut down and my brain and my nervous system had disconnected because of the trauma of being so hypervigilant, not ever sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I went into what they called trauma shock. And during that time, they, they said, you either go into a mental health institution and uh, we sur- survey you for the next three months and uh, get the help that you need. Um, and I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that because I've been fighting for my son to get this help. And now you guys want to help me, but not my son. And I said, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to stay with some friends and I'm going to figure this out. And they said, well, if you don't get help, you, you, they, they basically told me you have three months left to live because there's no medicine. There's no therapy. There's no anything that they could do to, to solve this. And so I went to my friend's house and I stayed there for three weeks. I was on 18 out of 24 hours bed rest. If I would be up for more than five minutes, I would literally pass out on the floor and they would have to carry me back to my bed. Um, All I did was sleep. And it was during that time that uh, the, the Lord just miraculously healed me. And he came and he visited me and he said, you have a purpose, a calling and an assignment here. Mm-hmm. And I want you to share your story. And I want you to help other people to go and be all that they are called to be. And, um, but I'm going to have you go through the process of healing. So you know how to help heal other people. Well, that's, that's like a heart hurting story to hear everything that you had to go through. And there's so much that when you are being a caregiver, but being a caregiver to someone who is threatening your life, I I just can't even imagine. So we know that you're healed. What happened with your son? Yeah. Um, So my son ended up going to a a temporary shelter for a time being, and then the courts got involved. 
and we were able to find a, a placement out of state for him to go to. And he still struggled for the next 18 months in a treatment facility. And then they successfully discharged him, even though he was not successful. And they ended up uh, sending him to another shelter. And because we still, they, they couldn't find a place for him. And he's, he's been through the counseling. He's, he's working through it uh, at this, at this shelter that he was at recently um, after he got discharged, uh, he completely relapsed. Um, he's 15. He just turned 15 and he got completely physically aggressive, um, very sexualized acting out. Um, it was just not structured. And now he got, he, we moved him to a different placement and he is doing amazing. Like he, from the very beginning, I have said, and I've advocated and fought that he needs a structured place where he has staff that can help him. It's a small environment. He can have structured peer time. Um, he just needs the structure. And now that he has that, he is doing phenomenal. He's getting straight A's in school. In the last three months, he has not had a single behavioral issue whatsoever. And it just goes to, to say that us as parents, we know our children. And right. done counseling. I've been a counselor. I've done social work. You know, professionals, they know a lot. There's a lot of expertise there. But as those experts and as those counselors, we they have to listen to what the parents just seem to know about their kids. And I just, I can't imagine what life would be different five years ago if the system, if the supports, if the people would have been there to help us at that time. And now... Diane, how many people I worked in the social work? I was a social worker. Right. I knew the system in and out. How many families don't understand the system and have to go through this? Have no hope for their families, have no hope for their kids. They don't know what to do. Or even as a foster family, even as an adoptive family, you know, where's the supports of, you know, it's not just like raising your own biological children. It's different and people don't understand and that's okay, but we still need those supports. And so my son getting the support that he needs now, um, some people are like, man, that's got to be hard, you know, for him to be in a placement. It is hard because I love my son and I want him with me, but the best thing for him and I right now is for him to have that support that he needs. And for me not to have to not sleep all night because I have to wonder if he's going to run away or if he's going to come into my room. Um, so this structure is, is so good for him and he is just thriving. It's amazing. So what are you doing now, Devin, to help other families? What is the process? What, what, what are you calling them to help them do? What yeah. are you doing? Yeah, so so we help uh, provide healing and support for foster and adoptive families, really empowering them to overcome the past and to shape a brighter future. Our goal in our, our nonprofit is called the Orphaned Heart, and we want to reach people. We're helping people that don't have parent figures, 
that have been rejected, that have been hurt by others, and really walk them through a process of what that looks like to be fully healed and to be able to live a life of fulfillment, to be able to leave a legacy um, for your children. Because a lot of people seem to get stuck in this negative uh, tree of life of this is how my parents were. This is how my my parents were and their parents were. And, and we fall into this continual uh, generational curse of of our family, of our family lives. And we want to be able to help people change that, that you don't have to live a, a life of rejection. You can live a life of hope and fulfillment and what that looks like. So we, we do multiple different things. We have uh, coaching and we have support groups that we do. We also have local community things uh, throughout the nation that, that we're setting up. And the first thing is we provide uh, what's called a hope fellowship. And what these are is to be able to bring foster families, to bring the orphan heart people together to heal, to have a support system, to have like-minded people to connect with and to live life together. And that in itself is healing uh, for so many people and to have okay. that community. And then from there, we are putting together what's called empowerment centers. And these empowerment centers are to help teach people the life skills that they need in order to be successful. Do you know that 85% of, of teens that are uh, out of the system and turn 18 never get a job? They either end up homeless or they end up in some type of uh, jail or you know that type of cycle. And that's because they never have the dreams uh, to be able to be successful because they don't even know how to cook their own meals. They don't know how to budget. And things that we take for granted, they were never taught. And so we want to be able to provide these life for these kids and these, these adults that have never had them. We're, we're putting together college um college professors that are coming in and doing different trainings on how to work on automotive skills, um, how to be an entrepreneur and be able to start your own business, whether it just be lawn mowing, uh, so that they can start to be able to leave this poverty mindset that has been instilled inside of them to just be able to create a whole new lifestyle and teaching them that this change starts with you. It's not about your parents. It's moving right. forward. Well, how come in a system that these children are going to school, they're in foster care, why why is there th this gap that they're not getting what they need to bring them to a successful adulthood? And 18, when I was young, was very different. I was a mom and married at 19. But now 18 is like 30 <laughs> from my generation very different i mean i'm not 18 is 30 it's like 18 is more like they're eight they don't have a lot of these skills so what are you doing what are some of the successes that you've had that you've seen you know so that you can spare people the pain that you and your son have suffered through yeah um i, I would start off by by it's it's educating people it's educating okay. Um, businesses, it's educating um, the social workers, it's educating the families to think about 
if 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 you were you know say seven or eight years old and somebody came in and and said hey you know what we need you to pack up your stuff and we're going to go someplace else and you grab your clothes you grab a teddy bear or a blanket shove it all in a garbage bag and you go to a complete stranger's house and then you go to school the next day and what does that teacher know teacher doesn't know anything and yet here they're supposed to go and do their schoolwork yet they don't even know where the heck they're at what happened to mom and dad and so when our when the kids' needs are not met they're shoving it all down and so they're not really learning anything in school because they just want to survive right and so that is where all of these things are lost is because we've lost the aspect of are we able to provide for their needs and not just the education, not just the, the everyday life things that, that they need, uh, that, that they want to do, but what are the needs that they have? And so it, it's, it's educating them, uh, educating the parents, educating the, the professionals, as well as, you know, we won't even dive into the human trafficking that goes on um, in the school systems and in the foster care system and all of that in every state every city it's all connected everywhere and that gets turned upside down and everybody turns a blind eye in the foster care system to the human trafficking because they just don't want to deal with it and so heaven forbid that your kid is actually still being human trafficked at school and then coming home and they can't tell anybody and so you see all these needs that are not being met of these kids and the families and how hard it is um, for them. And then we expect them just to be successful when they turn 18. Look at all of that hurt and pain that's been shoved down because number one, who are they going to talk to about this? Nobody believes yeah, who them. Would well, that's what I was, I was just going to say that yeah. who would believe the story? Cause when you're telling it to me, like, you know, I, I haven't, been involved in the foster and adoptive care but one of the things that you say it's very different from having your own children what are some of the differences that those children are facing that your own biological children might not face yeah so the first thing and the, the first thing that i tell every single parent um is think about the way that you raised your baby you probably most most good parents nurture them. Uh, they feed them when they cry, they hold them. Now imagine that you don't know how a uh, you get a two year old and you don't know how they were brought up. You don't know if they were nurtured. More than likely, they were not nurtured at all. And so they don't trust you. They won't sit on your lap. They won't give you eye contact. Any type of raising your voice could re-traumatize them and they'll start screaming. And you don't know why, because you don't understand what they've been through in the first two years of their lives. And so we take for granted, uh, you know, what, what we are able to do as, as biological parents. But when we have these kids that come into our homes, we have no idea, even prenatal, the stress and the trauma that they've been through. And they may never have words to be able to put to that. And so we have to start guessing with that. So with, with my kids, with, with the foster and adoptive part, it's, you know, you don't spank your kids. 
You don't raise your voice. You do positive. You know, we as as us as kids, we got spanked. We had timeouts. We, um, you know, got grounded. But you know what? With these kids, it's different. You do time ins because if you put them in a room and you leave, guess what? They feel neglected. Oh, this person's leaving me again. That's not the intention as a parent that I want them to have or that I'm even thinking about. But that's what they're feeling. And it doesn't matter us as parents, what we feel. We need to teach them. So it's positive techniques, positive disciplines that we're able to do that. It's it's teaching them of the positive. I mean, how many times can you think of that you say yes to your kids compared to when you say no? We say no a lot. But if we can find the times to say yes, uh, it's so much more impactful. And it's it's things that, you know, as I was growing up, I don't remember that. I remember no all the time. But these kids need to know that the answer yes is good and that it's okay. But there's also discipline and there's a difference between discipline and punishment. And again, that's a whole different thing when it comes to us growing up and our biological kids than it is with with kids that you bring into your home. Because you never know what their background and it's like you said, they, they don't have the verbiage to express it. Even as adults, we don't always have the language to explain what's going on with our emotions and our heart, you know, the hurts that we've had and such. You've talked a couple of times that they need like a a process or a a system of some kind to pull them together. What have you found is working? Like, why is this place that your son is in now? Why is that working where the others didn't? What, what are they doing differently? Yeah, the, the biggest thing that that kids of any, no matter who they are, they, they need structure. They need structure and they need a place to where they feel safe. And that that is why my son is is being successful where he is now, is because of the structure and because he feels safe. The other thing is understanding the emotional intelligence that we have, that the kids have, and that's another whole whole podcast is understanding emotional intelligence, Um, but understanding that we need to meet these kids where they're at instead of where our expectations are for them. And every kid is different. And that is what, that is what professionals really struggle with is they try and put all these kids and put labels on them and put them in these boxes and say, oh, this kid has ADHD. Oh, this kid has anxiety. This kid has depression. Let's put this medicine in him. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's. And it's it's not that 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 can work, and we've seen it work. But these the talk therapies and all of that stuff, it rarely works because we're just educating the kids on how to be able to do something when their emotions are not actually involved, to where they aren't able to. Um, you know, like my son, he he could teach how to do coping skills. But when he's in trigger mode, when he's going off, there is no coping that's going to work because his emotions have taken over. And so what he needs is he needs a safe place. And for him, what I've learned is he needs a book. I know it sounds really weird, but since he was a baby, he loved just holding books. He loved for us to read um, to him. He was so content. And what happens is, is he actually... Um, I don't want to say disassociates, but he really disassociates with the world. And he goes into these books and he puts himself as a character in these books. 
And so he is in a safe place. He's not worried about the pain around him or about how people feel or how people, any of that stuff. But you give him a book and he will sit down, he will calm down, and he will self-regulate almost every single time. But those that, that will not happen in a counseling session. That will not happen at school unless we figured that out. And so these are the types of things that, that we're able to help people process with of what works for your kids. What are some different mm -hmm. techniques that you can use rather than saying, hey, here's a blueprint to be able to do this. Go do some deep breathing. Go do some, um, make them do eye contact. All those things could be re-triggering to them. So what is it that works for your kid? And how can we make that into a normal for them? Well, how do you go about figuring that out? Like you say, you knew that your son liked books, but it's taken some time for him to, you know, use that technique to, as you say, disassociate and calm down and such. How do you find that out, what they need? Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's a great question. So the first thing that I, that I do with, with parents is I ask them, first off, what is their triggers? So we talk about the kids a lot, but the biggest thing that helped me was my, my son was going through an outburst. I left the room rather than me trying to say, Hey, go to your room. No, I leave and go to my room. So it was triggering me as much as it was really triggering him. And what right. I realized is as an adult, I needed to leave and give myself a timeout because it's okay that he's in the living room. You know what? If he wrecks something, he wrecks something. We have to get over that. But it was going to be a fight if him and I, of him and I, if I had to get him into his room because I needed to follow through if I told him to go to his room. So the first thing is, is what can you do for yourself to be able to regulate? Because if you're going to explode, doesn't matter what, your, what works for your kids. If you're going to lose your temper and all of that, it's not going to work. So that's the first thing. What triggers you as a parent? The second thing is what happens, and we call this baseline. When your son or your, your child is, is at baseline level to where there's, there's no emotions, they're not worked up, they're just at, at this perfect level, um, what are the things that they enjoy? What are the things that they, that they okay. like to do? Um, what are things that, um, that maybe you walk in and into their room and they're doing? You know, maybe they're playing cards. Maybe they're just laying on the floor. Um, all these types of things we have to observe a lot of the things we can talk about coping skills, but the kids don't understand when we just talk. So we have to find what are they already doing that we recognize. And so for my son, it was, he was always sitting in a corner on his bed, reading a book, or he was lining up cars. He was so strategic with his cars. He would always line them up. Perfect. So Devin, you had talked in the beginning about, how important it is to know your voice. And if you've lost it in that state of hopelessness to find it, what do you mean by that? If you can just give me like a short, 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 uh, on how we go about losing it or what causes us to lose it and what the processes you found to refine your voice. Yeah. Refined. <laughs> yes. So what happens when we lose our voice is we actually lose all hopes and dreams. Uh, it's it said that, 
that hope deferred makes our hearts sick. And so when we lose our voice, we don't uh, have anybody to share it with, or we don't have the confidence to share what our life, what's going on in our life, or who to share these struggles, or who to even share these wins with. And so we end up internalizing everything and pushing it down. And the way that I have found to be able to help people with this is to re uh, reignite who I am. What is your identity? What is your true identity? And we start with, where was the last time that you had hopes and dreams? What was the last thing? Even if it was all the way back as a kid, as a fireman, or you wanted to be a policeman, right. where was that? Let's dream again from there and start to rebuild and find those spots to where these lies, these hopelessness times uh, kind of started to take over and you started pushing your voice down. And so we refined who we truly are um, in ourselves. And once we find that, we'll gain the confidence to share all these different areas because we're honest with ourselves first, then we can be honest with each other. So how did you refine your voice? So just go through a process for me. Because you talked about how important processes and structure can be to healing. What were you de- doing to heal yourself and find your voice again? Yeah, the, the first thing is push aside everything else. Every uh, I would say 90% of people, when they want to uh, refine their confidence, refine, help other people, they go and they help other people and they, they, okay. they serve others. So they're really pushing it aside. We have to, it's okay to think about ourselves. We've been taught in society that that's selfish, and it's not. You can't really love other people if you don't love yourself. And so if we okay. have to, we have to focus on who am I? And that was the first thing I had to do. I had to say, okay, I've lost everything. Who am I? In the pits of everything, who am I? Because the one thing that, that God had told me is the creation, you do not get your identity from the creation. You get your identity from the creator. And so when we realize that people around me don't give me my identity, that I was created for a purpose, and what is that purpose? And so that identity is so huge that we find ourselves. And for me, that took a three-month journey to re-find out who am I. And it was just, it was sitting in quiet. It was going for walks. It was just learning how to be still. That's very hard for me. Because I'm a go, go, go getter all the time. But I needed to really slow down and take the time for myself and focus on myself. Because then how much more can I help other people if I really know who I am? And it's really an internal process of being able to feel the feelings. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to laugh. You know, a lot of times we, we shame ourselves for feeling bad. When in reality, our body's telling us, hey, something's not right. And we say, no, I can't cry. No, I can't feel bad. Oh, this hurts so much. Okay, why does it hurt? That's how you refine your identity is because you're not shoving down your feelings. You're actually bringing them up. Well, one of the things too that you were talking about is that refining process Mm -hmm. that you... You, you find your purpose. So you had a different event in your life. 
you you were in this pit of despair. You were physically sick. The doctors are not giving you a good prognosis of what can happen in your life. And then you had this experience with God, and He was clear about you, with you about your purpose. Not everyone gets that. So how are you helping those who are feeling hopeless but don't feel like they have a dream or have a direction? They've never even had the opportunity to do that just because of their life circumstances. How are you helping them find that voice and that hope again? Yeah, so we have to remember that even though it even though I did have those prognoses and I did find the dream, I was living in hell for 5 years. One on one with my son with no help. And so it's during those times to where I recognized that the hardest thing was for me to reach out. It was for me to find people that recognized the situation that I was in and to continually find people. And so for me, I'm able to help people um, in support and being a sounding board to be able to hear and listen to what they're going through. And a lot of times, you know, when we're going through grief or we're going through loss, all those types of things, we just need somebody to listen. And how relieved that is when somebody just listens to us. I feel heard. And that is so healing to some of these people that then as they get some of these things off their chest, they're able to start to dream again because they no longer have that heaviness holding down these dreams. They no longer have this heaviness holding down all their hopes and desires. But you know what? It may not be the season. It may not be the time to where you can step into that. And so it's what season are you in? When I was with my son one-on-one for those five years, my one and only assignment was my son. I lost my jobs. I lost everything else. And I knew that my one and only assignment was my son. And so that is what kept me going. What is the one thing that you are called to do right now? And maybe that's be a parent. Maybe that is to be a a husband. Maybe that's to be a wife. Maybe that is to... um, but, you know, whatever it is, we you're always doing something. You have something that you're you're called to do. Mm-hmm. We just got to find that. Well, I love how too that you're giving that opportunity that we do need to to heal, and also that you referred that so often when we're feeling bad, we just say, "Well, let me go help others." Like that's going to make us feel better, which in some times it can, mm-hmm. and other times it's it's sounds like almost an avoidance tactic. Exactly. I'm not going to deal with it. How painful was it for you just to have that, that time for yourself to go in and sort of dig out, push out whatever was stopping you, triggering you, as you said and such. And was it worth the pain to get where you are right now? Yeah. I'll say to slow down and to internalize things was probably the worst process of it all. Um, because I've always served, I've always led other people. And for me to focus on myself, uh, I felt like I was hurting everybody else. I felt like I was rejecting everybody else, turning everybody else away. I didn't answer my phone. I didn't do anything because I knew my time was for me. And it was, it was very hard, but I knew that this was a process that I needed to go through in order to help other people. And so for me, I counted the cost. Was it worth it to help other people? Absolutely. Do I want to go through it again? No, not at all. But 
if I went through it so other people don't have to, it's worth it. And now I get to help well, them go through that same thing. Well, I think that that's so true that it, when you're called to feel like to speak and to coach and you have your, your mission of, um, you know, that the orphan heart, healing the orphan heart and such that, that would you have been able to see all of that if you were still in that broken space, if you didn't take your, the time to heal, would you have been a help and a healer to others? Yeah, I, I don't believe that. I believe that you can only take people as far as what you've been through and what you've healed through. There's a number of coaches, there's a number of healers that are out there that try and get people to someplace that they've never gotten. And what they are is they're just teachers. They're teaching you the prognosis. They're teaching you all these red flags. But if they have not entered into that healing area to where they're healed, and you know, we're all still continuing to heal. We're all still going through the process. But the the true people that are able to help you get to where you want to be are the people who are already on the other side. And too many people, like we talked about, um, are still in that process of trying to process through the healing. And they're not truly able to help people get to the other side. I think there's a whole lot of truth in that, very much so. So talk a little bit about the Orphan Heart, your, your nonprofit that you have, and how you're, you've explained it really well, and we don't know what happened, you know, in prenatal, what happened in someone's early formative years that, you know, broke their heart, and now you're there to work to heal it. I love the name. Of course, it, it just, you, you don't even think of it, but it makes sense. And there's so many ways that we can become orphaned. Mm -hmm. So many hurts that we have. And then you're there to bring them into healing. And it sounds like a lot of it is people not feeling alone, that they're not the only one who's had this hurt. And that's why I love the, the, the idea of, of, you know, whether it's teaching or coaching, the people are in a group together and they're saying we're sharing life and we're sharing our hurts and our heartaches and the times that we've been broken. And as you said, we just want someone to listen to us. And it's funny that how you, you said it, that when someone's listening to us, we find our voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's thing. I have to speak to find my voice, but you need that other person who's willing to listen to you to give your voice meaning. So what are some of the things that you're doing with this, with your orphaned heart? Yeah. So it, it's, it starts off with, you know, we have, a, we have a Facebook group that we, we have people join and we just uh, empower people. We allow people to share their stories. We, uh, they ask questions. We do a monthly training on different topics that people are interested in and bring in experts uh, to be able to help and educate in the different areas. And we also have uh, different connections throughout the world to be able to um, bring in, you know, for foster parents, you need the, the continuing education. So we have people that do continuing education for people that aren't able to be in person. And so we have a membership to be able to help do that. And then we also are able to just bring people from to create a roadmap. 
And for the map, it's just, it's a massive action plan to be able to help people that are struggling in their current placement, in their, in who they are right now, um, mm-hmm. to get to the place where they, where they want to be, to where they're not ready to give up, to where they're not ready to, um, you know, most, most, do you know that foster parents don't last more than 18 months? It's, it's. Well, from all that you've said, they probably have no idea what they're getting into. And as you said, they want to serve and they might not be emotionally um, prepared physically, psychologically, mm-hmm. just don't have the tools that they need and the emotional support that they need. It sounds like I want to do this. I want to reach out and help other people. You know, I, or I couldn't have children and I want to want to help and fill in that gap. And it's not about us. It's about them and you giving them the tools to say, this is what you need to make sure that you can go in and, and take care of children who are not like, you're going to get some cute little happy toddler hopping into your house, just bringing all joy and fun and an interesting life. You're, you know, as you said, you could have a child that's so broken that wants to harm you and harm themselves. That's, I don't think most people, I wouldn't have realized that that's what I would be signing up for. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. know that they need that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. But it, you know how broken a system is when you're saying 85% of people in who've been in foster care do not come out of it successful, mm-hmm. that they have jobs, homelessness. I mean, this is a very, very broken system. And you've stepped into that space to try to heal that, the system, as well as the hearts. Yeah. So kudos to you on that part. Yeah. Now, this is a lot. Good story. Anything you want to share with our listeners? What do they need to know before we end this conversation? Yeah. So <clears throat> the biggest the biggest takeaway that I, I would want if if there's anything that you guys take away from this it's understanding that every single one of us has wounds we all have something that's happened to us Mm -hmm. and when we focus on the wounds and we recognize where the wound is and what that what has caused it it begins to heal but every place that heals leaves us some type of scar And so there's a lot of people that will say, don't look back at your past because it doesn't define you. And I want to say the exact opposite, that your past does define who you are today. And even Jesus did this, is he said, look at my scars. Look at what I've been through for you. And so I want to challenge everybody to look at the scars that you have in your life, the things that you've been through and what you have come through. And how you can utilize that to help other people that make that wound serve a purpose. Bring it for good to help other people and turn those scars into amazing testimonies to help others. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for pulling into the Hope Station. Wasn't that a great episode? My hope is that this episode brought you hope. Do you want to be a hope giver? I hope so. And how you can do that is to share this podcast 
post the episode on social media, write a review, or rate the podcast. This helps engagement and boosts the podcast out to other listeners in need of hope. So thank you. Thank you for participating. Thank you for helping. Thank you for being a valued listener. And my hope is that you have a great week.